Welcome to the Profitable Accountant Podcast. I'm your host, Reza Huda, practice owner, coach, and mentor to accounting firm owners. In this podcast, I share practical strategies to get new clients, charge higher prices, and build a profitable accounting firm that you're proud of. From time to time, I also interview other accountants doing incredible things so you can learn what's working and take tangible takeaways to implement. Make sure you press the follow button on your podcast player so you get notified when I release a new episode. Now, on to today's session. Hello, hello. Hope you're well and have a good start to the day. So today's session is another interview with an inspirational accountant doing great things. She is truly an inspiration. The title of this, no doubt, that has lured you in from zero to a million pounds revenue in just three years, aged 30. The story of Rachel Harris is truly inspirational, motivational. And Rachel has been so open to share with us today some of the practical tips, take uh, tactics and strategies that she has used to scale her firm to a million pounds together with adding on over a hundred thousand pounds worth of new business every single month. Not only that, she has built an enviable team where people who come in stick around and she also has a waiting list of people wanting to join her as far as the next 12 months ahead. She truly is an inspiration. I can't wait to get stuck in. I can't wait for you to listen to this. I'd love to hear your feedback afterwards. So without further ado, let's get stuck in and I'll see you on the other side. Hey there, Rachel. How are you today? Yeah, really good. Thank you. Really good. Thanks. Fantastic. Excellent. All right. So today's session is a very, very uh, interesting and exciting one. It is going to be. You may have heard of Rachel. You probably have. She is fairly uh, fairly uh, ubiquitous on social media. So if you're on any of those platforms, I'm sure you will have seen her. She actually, we were just having a very brief chat before I went online. And uh, I know I've had Rachel on before. We we're trying to figure out when it was. Was it over a year ago, under a year ago? And it was actually just less than a year ago. It was at the start of January. Actually, no, tell a lie, Rachel. That wasn't uh, 23. I forget what year are you in. That was 22. It was nearly two years ago you were right. Uh, that makes much more sense. So actually, Rachel was on my uh, podcast live session in January 22. And the title of that session was from 50 to 400 clients in less than 12 months. So I think uh, it wasn't too long after she had started. And today's session is uh, called, what is it called? It's called How I Scale My Firm to a Million Pounds in Just Three Years, Age 30. What is this? This is going to be a fantastic, uh, inspiring session because if you are out there and you are thinking about how to grow, how to scale, then there's a lot you can learn from this young lady that I have interviewing, uh, that I'm interviewing today. So as always with these sessions, you are in luck because you're watching live. So make sure you put your questions into the comments so you can take maximum value from this session. You can take uh, some practical takeaways to go and implement because there's going to be a lot of them. Right. So without further ado, let's get started. Enough yapping from me. I'm hoping we're going to cover the top two most common challenges that I hear from accounting firms. And that is number one, which is probably why a lot of you have tuned in today. And if you want to let me know what is the one big challenge that you have at the moment in your accounting firm, pop it in the comments. But number one I hear is how do we win new clients? Certainly, that's not been an issue for Rachel. She's managed to overcome that obstacle and she's taken her firm to a million in three years. So she's going to share with us how she has done that to give you some takeaways. And the second is 
How do we attract good people? How do we retain a high performance? How do we build and scale a team so we can actually build a business rather than being a glorified job? And uh, Rachel has scaled her team. We'll find out exactly how many she has. But I know from speaking to her that she has an incredible team. She's got a waiting list of people wanting to join her, which is absolutely phenomenal. So we're getting into the nitty gritty of that as well. Put your comment, uh, put your questions in the chat and to make sure that I can uh, put them to Rachel during the course of this session. Okay, so let's start off with lots of, uh, yeah, lots of people attending live and lots of you looking forward to getting started. So to begin with, Rachel, just give us a snapshot of where are you at the moment? What does your firm look like? And then I'll delve deep into some further questions from there. All righty. Cool. Hi, everybody. Uh, if you are a friend of Reza's and we haven't met yet, I am so excited to be with you today. So I am a disruptor in the accounting industry. And so I'm disrupting what it means to be an accountant, what it feels like to have an accountant and what being the founder of a very rapidly scaling accountancy practice looks like as well. So just over three years ago, uh, it was just me and my husband on our dining room table. We're now a team of 18. We've just gone over a million pounds. We're about to hit 800 clients and we also have a waiting list of over 150 uh, members of staff waiting to join the practice at any given time. We have done that through leveraging social media, scaling social media. So my online platform, AccountantShe, which is the online safe place that I needed uh, and the content that I needed at different points during my journey, whether that was careers advice when I was leaving school, working out how to become an accountant or what being an accountant was like, all of the way through to being a business owner for the first time, all of the way through to scaling an accountancy practice. Uh, we've built and scaled an online community of over 50,000 people. And so I create long and short form, completely free, accessible, consumable content to drive pipelines of different elements within my business. So the practice is worth a million pounds. My personal brand is also a six figure business. So I do lots of speaking events, content creation, brand ambassador work. And so just being able to monetize that audience in as many ways as possible. Fantastic. Now it's been it's been awesome seeing your your journey and how you've grown over the years. Remind me, when did you actually start your firm? Was it? Uh, yeah, summer of twenty twenty. Yeah. When exactly? Sorry. Summer of twenty twenty. Summer of twenty twenty. Amazing. So it's not even been. Yeah, it's just been what three and a half years. Mm -hmm. Three and a half years to a million. That is that is a phenomenal achievement. Fantastic. Okay, let's let's drill deeper into the into the how stuff and how do you how do you grow and how do you win business so talk to me about kind of your journey into figuring out so you start your firm you want to do things differently you want to be a disruptor where did it uh, where did when did it dawn on you did you what kind of journey did you go on to figure out right okay well i need to start doing content and through that content i will start to raise awareness of what i do and my firm and i will get business through that how did that journey kind of unfold talk us through some of the the history of that to get you to where you are today yeah awesome so once i qualified as an accountant i was really keen to continue studying I didn't go to university. I went straight through as an apprenticeship baby. I was a young carer from a young age. And so going to university just wasn't on the cards for me uh, just because of my home life. And so as an apprenticeship baby, very much felt like going to university was something that I missed out on. And so once I qualified as an accountant, I had to look for sort of like further education opportunities that I could bring into my career. And so at the beginning of 2020, I started an exec MBA, which is a master's in business. It's a two year program which dissects the top level of all management, business, finance, 
so that you could sit in any seat on a board and have a high level understanding of exactly what anybody else is talking about in the room. And doing that MBA changed my life in, in many ways. It took me from feeling like just an accountant. Um, I, the word accountant for a lot of us is a full stop. You say it at a networking event and people are like, mm. uh, you say it to your mates and they just start taking the piss out of you. And so actually for me, as, a, as quite a young person as well, compared to a lot of my peers, it felt like a personality that had been put on me that I never really associated with. And so through doing the MBA, not only did I sort of take blinkers off and realize I am an accountant, but I think I'm an accountant because I love business. I love helping people and I'm great at maths, but actually it could be that I was meant to be a business owner rather than an accountant. And so within the MBA, there is so much strategy. So I'm talking about strategic marketing. I'm talking about market segmentation, customer analysis, customer profiling, where your people are, how you can use that voice, how you can do storytelling. And so a big misconception around the way that I create content is that because it's quite light and I don't take myself too seriously, but I do a serious job, is that the strategy behind what I do isn't serious. And actually, I have such a high level of strategy behind every single piece of content that I create, talk about, post online, and every single piece of content that we create has a purpose, whether that is driving a pipeline of new members of staff into the practice, whether that's taking the team on holiday to create content to further grow that waiting list, whether it's bringing clients in, whether it's selling our online course, which teaches people how to start and scale their own practice. Every single piece of content that you see has huge amounts of marketing strategy behind it. Fantastic. Amazing. So, so what came first? Was it the fact that you did the MBA and then you took some of the learnings from that and you thought, right, okay, well, based upon now what I'm learning off the MBA in terms of what you just talked about, marketing strategy, segmentation, storytelling, you took that and then you thought, right, okay, well, the best way to the kind of the tactics to deliver upon the strategy is getting on social media, creating content, or was it a case of you were doing content for another purpose, but you realized that that was actually growing and generating inquiries, which then led you to do more of it. So kind of what came first? You're really interested in drilling down into, course, yeah. into that. Yeah, so the strategy came first. My husband, James, had built a portfolio of like 30 to 50 clients. And through doing the MBA and actually doing something that I loved, but sort of not being in an environment where I could play with the stuff that I was learning, really, really just sort of like, dropped my engagement at work and I said to James like I think we're in the middle of a global pandemic people's behavior is changing people's approach to self-employment is changing we're seeing people become self-employed that have never even considered being self-employed before through furlough schemes access to finance reduced barriers to entry we need to change the way that we're approaching people's access to finance let me quit my job and let's do it together and so in 2020 in the pandemic I as of today, create daily content on LinkedIn, TikTok and Instagram and weekly long form content on YouTube. Please don't feel like that's the starting point. The starting point for me was one platform, one place with one purpose. And for me, that was Instagram to attract new clients into the business. And that was it. I started on Instagram because that was sort of my native platform. I'm a 90s baby and so Instagram was very much my happy place I'm not Facebook but I'm also not TikTok and so Instagram was the place that I naturally consume content and so as a consumer of content on that platform I found it quite easy to 
create content on that platform in a way that I would enjoy. And so specifically targeting business owners who look and feel like me, but also who behave as consumers in the way that I do too, was really important to me as well. Amazing. Fantastic. So you start to put out content on Instagram and how long did it take or how quickly did that kind of take off and what kind of clients or prospects were getting in touch with you? Did you have any particular uh, avatar in mind, any particular niche in mind? Yeah. Who were you going after? So talk to us about uh, about that kind of initial. Awesome. Yeah, so our initial uh, customer profiling split us into three categories. So my my only target audience was business owners. That was then, so it wasn't a specific niche. I then split that down into three sections. So we had um, Martians, which are people who are alienated by the current accountant, maybe very heavy jargon, not relatable. Maybe you're a content creator and your accountant doesn't even know what TikTok is. Like you feel alienated by your current accountant, but you have an accountant at the moment, you're an existing business owner. We then have first adopters. That's people who, as soon as they become self-employed, know that they want to work with us. And then the third is collaborators. So not people who could potentially be clients, but people who have access to people who could be clients, whether that is financial advisors and wealth managers, all of the way through to people who have very large Facebook communities, which are full of small business owners. We split our content into three sections and rotated that content accordingly so every third piece of content was specifically targeting a different person we gained traction quite quickly i was a firm believer in again maybe just as a user of a platform i sort of knew that content is planting seeds it's not like i'm going to post a piece of content and i'll get 10 inquiries like that's not how social media works people engage for a long time you build community then they convert and so I kept my head down. At the beginning, I was trying to follow accounts that were like ideal clients so that the algorithm would send people my way. And so, yeah, that's that's how I started. Amazing. Fantastic. And so what would you say in terms of your the traction, so the actual conversions, where were they coming from percentage wise, would you say across you know, social media and other things you're doing, referral, because typically for, I guess for, uh, you know, most practice owners who start off on their own, they get the majority of their initial client base through the referrals. Mm -hmm. What was your, was your makeup any, any different because of the content you were yeah. putting out? Yeah, hugely different. So at the beginning it was 50, 50, 50% social media, 50% referrals. And we sort of actually maintained consistently throughout that 50% social media, 50% referrals, because at the same time as our community online growing up to 50,000, our client base has also grown to nearly 800. And so pound for pound at the same time that our happy clients are generating more happy clients, they're also talking about us, sharing about us, talking about us on social media to the point where not only do we act for our local village beekeeper, but we're dealing with some of the biggest content creators who've just left Love Island all of the way through to people who've just won Bake Off. And so being able to use social media as a way to be relatable to people who don't use social media, but are business owners all of the way through to people who social media is their full-time job and primary source of income has been amazing. Mm. Fantastic. That's amazing. Okay. So where you're kind of doing the content, you're getting these inquiries, getting the conversions, it's, uh, it's moving fast. You're bringing on clients and suddenly now 
you know, at what point do you start thinking, right, okay, well, I need to, I can't, you know, you and James can't do everything, right? Yeah. So at what point do you start bringing on members of the team and how, you know, how did you build that system now where you've got a, a weight in this? Talk to us about your of kind of hiring and scaling strategy. Yeah. So we hired our first employee within five months and it was super glamorous. He started working on our dining room table and we have a black Labrador and a cat and it was chaos. And I remember Googling, like, does employer's liability insurance cover someone working at my dining room table? Like, what if he gets a bad back? Because I've got a bad back and I can't sue myself. So, like, what do we do about this? Um, and so, yeah, within the first five months, we've recruited someone. We recruited uh, a trainee. He had no experience. He was working in Waitrose the week before stacking shelves, but just loved finance and was doing AAT in his spare time. He is still with us three and a half years later. He's currently doing his CTA. He is a portfolio manager. He manages members of staff. And so just even that, like being able to share that journey with somebody in the way that we have has been fantastic. And I guess through a lot of the conversations that we have today, we'll talk about core values, but please don't listen to that phrase and get imposter syndrome because the core values that I have attached words to and sentences to and big, lovely, shiny things to now they all still existed on our dining room table before we had words for them. The core values are exactly the same because the core values are who you are as a person, how you conduct yourself, your values, your beliefs. And so as we go throughout today, like, please don't feel like this is very shiny finished product. It's not firstly, it never will be, but also it wasn't for a long time through this journey. So core values, mindset, beliefs like you have all of those things as you are now the only thing you haven't done is formalize it or attach words to it in that way so first hire was stacking shelves in waitrose a week before he started he's now our tax department so that's been an amazing journey and then again as the audience grew and as i started to gain confidence measuring the pipeline of new work that we could bring in from social media because we're now at the point where we bring in about £110,000 a month of new work guaranteed. The types of work changes in seasonality. So in January, we see more sole traders. Well, not that we take them on in January, but we see them try. Um, so like, as we go into busy season, it turns into more sole traders, uh, smaller people who just need their accounts filed. And then outside of busy season, it's much of the bigger, chunkier, multi-million pound companies. I guess for context with our company structure, we have Accountant She, which is my online brand. We have uh, Strivex, which is the accountancy practice, which has just hit a million pounds. We've got Strivex Audit, Strivex Mortgages, and Strivex Consulting. And we've just launched Strivex HR, which has just answered the question. Somebody's just said, do you do any advisory? So we do a lot of high-level consulting work. That's the team that I head up. So we do very large company valuations. We've done work for Stephen Bartlett's team. We've done work for people that are about to go on to Dragon's Den. Um, so we do a lot of high-level consultancy work. Um, but once I managed to gain confidence and I guess rhythm in the pipeline of work that was coming in where I, I knew if I put in this much effort on socials, it will roughly guarantee this much work is coming in every month, which at the time was probably between 30 and 50K a month. I could then forecast planning recruitments, hires, who we needed, who we were going to need now, who, who we're going to need in three months time. And so then I started to shift my content primarily just from targeting business owners to then like, how can I bring more personal branding into this? How can I do more storytelling of what it's like to be an accountant? 
come behind the scenes and do a day in my life. What's the difference between ACCA and ACA? What's the difference between manage, like being a management accountant and a financial accountant? And so we strategically pivoted and started to like drip feed different types of content into my content to the point where now we have three solid content pillars, which are business owners, practice owners, and accounting students. Accounting students become members of staff, business owners become clients, and practice owners buy our online courses. Amazing. Fantastic. We could go in so many different uh, tangents here, but let's, um, and I'm sure people listening here are probably having their mind blown when they hear you say that we take on 110,000 pounds of new business every single month. I think many people listening would be more than happy to get that in a year. So, you know, with that level of, uh, of growth, being able to sustain that and maintain levels of service is crucial. So, you know, in terms of how does your, are you still actively involved in recruitment? Are you recruiting every single month? Talk to us about you know your waiting list, how you built that up, uh, and and then we can talk about okay, what is that? What is the structure in terms of you know portfolio management and that of sort course. of thing? Because presumably you're not doing much accounting or tax work anymore. Awesome. Yes, so I don't work in the practice at all. I firmly believe that in order to be an exceptional employer, you can't be an employee in the same business. I think I need that oversight and that distance. So yeah, I actually haven't worked in the day-to-day -day running of the practice in terms of like field work perspective for probably like 15 or 16 months. And answering that question has made me forget what your question was. <laughs> so the first one was to do with, okay, with the, with the over 100K worth of new business coming in, in terms of uh, making sure that uh, your levels of service don't, um, don't drop and, um, and so, you know, how, how do you, how do you serve that in terms of, you know, having, do you, you have, so what are your team numbers now and how do you go about recruiting? Do you have, do you have kind of recruit in advance of capacity or is it a constant recruitment cycle? And is it just you doing the recruiting or do you have yeah. someone else now? Awesome. Yeah, okay. So I'm very aware, like we're in a very unique position during a hiring crisis to have a waiting list of so many people. Again, that's not accidental. We've worked really hard to get to that point. A lot of it is huge amounts of investment. Lots of you might have seen content that we create about our benefits package. We pay incredibly well. We pay 10% above the market rate for the role. Um, and so I think it's easy to look at that and think, oh, it's just social media. Please know social media is just the shiny side that supports an insane amount of financial infrastructure behind the scenes. And I'm only talking about things that are real and that are happening behind the scenes. And so that's the hard bit. The hard bit is paying 10% above the market rate for a role. It's prioritizing people's well-being. It's having reduced working hours. It's having flexible working options. It's taking the team on holiday. We have an employee assistance program, so they all get access to therapy. We do personal one-to-one -one development coaching. Like, that's the hard stuff. It's easy for me to talk about it on the internet, but the hard stuff is actually doing the things that mean that not only do people come, but they stay. So we, from our employee waiting list, have a 100% retention rate. So every single person who's joined our waiting list that we've hired, we've still got now. And again, like we're three years, we're rapidly scaling, that's not heard of. And so the first thing is to say, that's not the hard bit. Talking about it on social media is not the hard bit. It's doing the stuff that actually, to be honest, lots of practices in 2023 aren't prepared to do. We see lots of people outsource, like, Everybody is full-time on payroll in-house in the UK. Lots of clients come to us because of that, because a lot of our competitors are outsourcing. We're post-pandemic. People love to see it. Again, not saying that one's right or one's wrong, but like that's what works for us. 
So the hard stuff is putting your money where your mouth is and actually investing in it. But what we get back from that is retention, it's high engagement, it's members of staff who live and breathe what we do, they know where we're going. And so at any given time, we'll normally be fully recruited for the next six months. So I'm currently recruiting as far as like May and June 2024 with two or three hires before that. So when somebody joins our waiting list, let's say you've seen a bit of content, you've searched how to get a job in accountancy with no experience, and then you started following me, you might have seen a bit of content creation or you've seen something that we've done and you've clicked a button that says become a member of staff. You then come to our waiting list. You can join our waiting list. So there you have to tell me who you are. You tell me who you are inside of work, who you are outside of work. You submit a CV. You tell me what department you'd like to go into. Again, we've obviously got like eight or nine different departments now. You tell me what department you'd like to go in. You tell me if you are passively or actively searching for a job. And this blew my mind the first time that I analyzed this. So 85% of the people that join our waiting list are completely passively looking for a job. Mm -hmm. They're not looking for another job, but they want to work for us. Like, and I remember the first time I interviewed someone and said, why are you looking to leave your current role? And she like dead straight face said, I'm not, I just want to work for you. And it's, it's hot, there's a lot of pressure and being an employer is not something that anyone teaches you how to do. It's, that's a lot of pressure to have on someone's life. Um, but 85% of the people being completely passive, what that does is remove time. And when you remove time from recruitment, you make fantastic choices. And not only do you make fantastic choices, but the candidates do too. So if you remove time pressure, someone hates their job and they want to start next week, someone's just quit and you need to replace them next week, you make decisions that you wouldn't normally do. But because we are so forward planning, and as soon as someone joins the waiting list, I can review their CV and book in a chat with them and say, what are you doing summer next year? Do you want to come work for us? Mm. Actually, not only is that building a pipeline of candidates that if something happens, if something changes, if someone leaves, or if actually we need someone sooner, I can pull that whole pipeline forward. So we had someone start last, last week that was going to start in February, but due to an internal promotion, we just pulled her forward. So not only have we got that long, strong pipeline, we're also removing time. And so we can have conversations with people and say, go away and think about this. Like so often we make huge life job situations under time pressure come in, meet the team, spend a lunch break with us, play a card game with us, make a TikTok, like come in and spend time with us and then see if you want to do it. Like people view houses two or three times before they decide that's where they're going to live. And like a job is no different. And so yeah. not only does it remove time, it just gives people the headspace to make great decisions. So we review everybody as soon as they join the waiting list, we screen them, we chat to them, we do core values check. It's a three-step recruitment process, but we're normally hired like six months in advance by people coming on the waiting list, which is then movable. So we do offer letters. People accept offer letters, but that's not contractual. Obviously, it's just a verbal agreement. I mean, it's contractual from our perspective. I just mean if someone changed their mind. So we, we make them an offer letter, they accept, and then we just keep really open communication with them. So the person who just started a couple of weeks ago was supposed to start in February, but when we knew we were going to make an internal promotion, we just got in touch with them and said, are you starting early? And she said yes. And so yeah, not only is it a pipeline, but it's this movable resource within the practice that we've been able to move and change as we need. Hmm. Amazing. That, that is phenomenal. And if you're listening, this is this is a true masterclass in <laughs> how to how to attract the best talent and retain your high performers. Because, and you've seen how Rachel has done this using her 
personal brand, using her content, because when we do content out on social media, we're not just doing it for potential clients, but as Rachel has ably demonstrated and proven that you're doing it for potential hires as well. And that's how you make yourself different. And that's what it's all about. The name of the game is to be different, is to actually attract uh, prospects and also attract team members to you. Because as Rachel said, when you are just if you're just picking from a pool of people who are disenfranchised and need to move now, it's probably not going to be the best of hires for you or uh, placements for them. So this is fantastic stuff. Talk to us a bit about so how many in your team at the moment? And you mentioned you've got nearly 800 clients. So, yeah, talk about the departments. How have you got them set up and yes. a bit about the structure? I think that would be useful for our audience to hear. And remember, if you've got any questions, now is your chance. Make the most of Rachel Why She's here. Put a question in the comments box so I can put it to her. Alrighty, cool. So we've got 18 members of staff. Um, sorry, we are a team of 18, so that includes me and James. So 16 full-time members of staff. And that is split out into a couple of things. So within the accountancy practice specifically, we have two field work teams. So we split that into business services, which for us is bookkeeping, VAT, CIS, management accounts, or the inside of the business. That's business services. And then we have a statutory year-end team. And so we have managers in both of those teams and then accountants that work beneath them. We have like a sub a subtitle uh, between um, manager and accountant, which is a portfolio manager. And so that is somebody who manages their own portfolio of clients without having to like directly report to a manager. So maybe they are really, really great at managing their own portfolio, but maybe aren't ready to manage junior members of staff. So they become a portfolio manager. So within every team, we've got managers, we've got accountants that work underneath them. Um, each manager can support between three and six juniors, depending on how junior they are. I feel like in accounting, junior ranges from someone who's just, just left school all the way through to someone who's doing their final ACCA. And we all know that they look very different. And so if they're super confident people, I would expect competent and confident. I'd expect a manager to be able to manage five or six man uh, juniors if they were, I call them tadpoles, like just straight from school, you'd be able to manage a lot less on the same amount of time. So we have managers in each department. You can probably imagine by the amount of new work that I've said we take on, we have a pretty hefty internal resources department. So that's the non-billables. We operate on a two-to-one ratio, and that's sort of been a consistent ratio. Um, whether that's been intentional or not intentional, it's just always happened on a two-to-one ratio. So for every two billable team members, we end up with a non-chargeable team member, whether that is, I've got full-time digital marketing, so full-time content creation, full-time business development manager who brings in all of the new work every single month. We've got a full-time head of compliance, executive assistants, client coordinators, onboarding team. And so you can imagine the resource it takes to onboard that many people because actually even like zero release their report every year and it's got like small, medium and large practices. And actually we were taking on clients at seven times the rate that the largest companies were taking on clients. And so actually our admin team has to be seven times the size of, of that too, and just have the internal resources. But that's where we use a very solid onboarding process. We use core values. Scaling is irrelevant if you're just bringing on loads of new work and it's all falling out of the bottom because you're doing a terrible job. Like actually the financial processes, the technical quality that we deliver services at, that's why we've been able to scale so sustainably, but also so rapidly is it's not all just coming from social media all of the happy clients are generating more happy clients because we're delivering what we promise mm -hmm. 
Amazing. Fantastic. So I tried to keep track of the individual <laughs> roles that you were mentioning there. Yeah. I think I came out with about, is it about six people in your non-billables team? Yes. Is that right? About six. Okay. Yeah. So, so six out of the 16. So you've got 10 people doing the field work, as you mm -hmm. would uh, call it. So of those, so those 10 are managing the 800 odd the clients and how do you then split those 800 clients between those 10 what does that kind of look like roughly are using portfolio values or using number of yes, clients, yeah, using yeah, yeah. clients? So within know. an accounts team an accountant's portfolio would be able to take 102,000 pounds which is 8.5k per month business services is a little bit different so like profit margins are very different in the bookkeeping teams and so we do that on a task basis but on a numerical basis it's about six and a half k a month for business services eight and a half K for the statutory compliance team every month. Okay. So, so business services, how mm -hmm. many people is that made up of? Four. Four. Okay. And they're doing six and a half K per month yeah. each. Yeah. Okay. One sec. I just wanted to talk about the accounts and tax preparation software we use. We moved to tax calc a few years ago from one of the big players, predominantly due to the huge cost saving. The difference was massive saving us over £7,000 a year. But aside from that, it's actually a really good product. My team tell me that it's really intuitive, simple to use, and the transition to move to it was painless. TaskCalc is also the most popular choice for accountants in the pack and members of my Facebook group. So if you're looking for accounts, tax production, and practice management software that does everything you need it to without costing a fortune, check out TaskCalc. There's a link in the show notes to learn more. Now, back to today's pod. What is the, so in terms of when new people come in and when you first started recruiting, what systems did you have in place to get them up to your standard in terms of training system? Because presumably they've got to learn from a manager, learn how to do things. You were taking on apprentices initially. So have you kind of built a training program for people as and when they come in? Are managers tasked with having to train the juniors when they come in? Talk to us about how that operates to ensure you do get that kind of consistency across them. Yeah, of course. Someone actually asked a good question in the chat. Someone asked, uh, are your staff office-based, remote, or a mix of both? So we're completely hybrid. So everybody has to come into the office one day a week. So they have to be commutable at least one day per week to where we are. And then for the rest of the time, we are hybrid, flexi, work from anywhere. So I've got workations abroad in the UK. Lots of the team do. We have lots of the team members who have family in other countries and so they can work abroad, a couple are working abroad at the moment. Um, so yeah, we are completely hybrid in the office one day a week together for that sense of community and to make the TikTok content. Um, so we get them in the office together one day per week. Cool. So the question was around onboarding. Yes, so mm -hmm. we recruit based on core values. Um, and so we try and treat the technical qualifications as the theory test, core values is the practical test. So we try and make sure that we are blending the two at all times. I feel like for us, we are such a, a strong culture firm. If we, recruit, if we recruited purely on technical content, it just wouldn't be the same firm. And so we, we sort of weight them both evenly. And then actually that weight shifts in management. We need the culture to be even stronger in management. So stronger culture, stronger core values, stronger vibe check when it comes to managers as well. Um, I mentioned I've mentioned a couple of times we have a course called Practice Makes Perfect, which is um, a course that helps you to start and scale your own accountancy practice. Within that course, 
we have 120 training videos and we actually use those training videos to onboard our own team as well. So within the training sections, you can buy working papers. So the working papers that we use for every single different element within the business, limited company, corporation tax, VAT, bookkeeping, um, self-assessments for people who have never worked in practice before all of the way through to people who've got loads of practice experience. You can then break down tab by tab on working papers guided tutorials of either me or James talking them through. You're looking at a HP agreement for the first time. How do we pull out the interest? Are we looking for the gross figure or are we looking for the net figure? How do we account for the interest? What goes on the balance sheet? What goes in the P&L? What journals are we looking at? How do we pull together the working papers? And so not only do we sell that to people to start and scale their own, we actually treat that as our own internal training program as well. And so we do have the, the technical on-demand content we then, I do a lot of soft skills training. So I do train the trainer training. So I teach the team how to have training sessions with clients, how to embrace those soft skills, how to maximize every touch point. So many elements of the inside of our business have almost been franchised on the inside. So from a sales perspective, we wanted other practice owners to be able to buy that as like an off the shelf white label product with no ongoing franchise fees. But for us, we wanted to make Strivex a machine that we can constantly be feeding new information into, whether it's tweaky changes in working papers, all of the way through to templated emails, requests, automated elements that go out to people. We've built this machine and we get to do that. So it's just an induction into what that looks like on the inside. Amazing. So you've got this. Uh, so as soon as people come in, it's all there. You've got your your uh, how to's, you've got your process notes, yeah. essentially. Uh, what I like to call it is the, is the knowledge hub. And that's how, you know, we, we become more efficient as practice owners. It's about capturing and sharing that intellectual capital Absolutely. from our heads and from our team's heads and sharing that across our team, current and future in order to generate those efficiencies. So that's uh, that's amazing that you've you've managed to do that and continue to do that to get that consistent level of service. Okay, this is um, this is absolutely fantastic. If you got any questions, then uh, we've got a few minutes left. So now is your chance. We'll do some quick fire ones uh, that people are asking. What is the main software you use? Is it Zero or another software? So we are actually software agnostic within the practice. Uh, I am currently sponsored by QuickBooks, but um, yeah, we're software agnostic within the practice. So we work with the software that is right for the client. So we help clients to make the right decisions. Sometimes it's price point, sometimes it's functionality, sometimes it's industry and interconnections with things like A2X and Amazon platforms. And so we work with all accounting softwares. Brilliant. Okay. Do you have a referral scheme with existing clients to generate new clients? Asks Lisa, I believe. No, we don't. You don't. Okay. Just out of kindness of their heart and their great experience. <laughs> Absolutely. And you don't outsource work, do you, where somebody uh, no, is we don't outsource. No, no, outsource. Brilliant. Fantastic. Okay. Now, this has been absolutely brilliant. Um, we could go on for ages, but I'm conscious of time. I normally finish these within 45 minutes. So I want to ask you, okay, what um, if you were to if you were to start again, would you do anything differently? Oh, big question. Yes, I if I could sit opposite myself three and a half years ago, now, I would tell myself that rapidly scaling a business, whether you mean to or not, do you know what I mean? Like I 
I wanted to just pay my mortgage. I, all of the things that have happened since have been fantastic um, and goals have changed. But if I could sit opposite myself, I would say that rapidly scaling a business involves rapidly scaling yourself. And it's so, so, so important to always prioritize the external support that you have within your life. For me, I'm quite an introverted person. So that looks like weekly therapy and like time at the gym. I smash the gym five times a week. Um, for me, that looks very different to what other people's do. I'm teetotal, I don't drink. And so for me, it's just prioritizing rest and my well-being. But yeah, big advice to people starting is don't underestimate how much rapidly scaling a business involves scaling yourself. Um, the sacrifices that come with it, it's not all shiny, but fundamentally you have an opportunity to build something that is an extension of who you are and you know become wealthy in many different ways as a result of it absolutely 100 percent agree with you there and certainly in my own journey i have found that uh, the biggest gains come when you invest in yourself when you invest because they don't teach you how to run a business when you do your accountancy training nobody teaches you how to price how to sell how to market how to scale and lead a team nobody teaches you any of that so you've got to invest in yourself and go away and learn these things from from others uh you know who have done this before to try yeah. and then come in and implement because um yeah we certainly don't get it when we do our acca training yeah. excellent and uh, yeah with you on the on the gym and um and being teetotal certainly helps okay um i think how do you find new clients we've covered that so just rewind this to the beginning you'll get the answers to that jay is asking how would you eliminate non-value-adding activities or behaviors emails for example i can see the questions coming in thicker fast now now yeah. that i've said we're going to be closing soon everyone's asking questions <laughs> yeah so we um every single team member it sounds really simple but i feel like sometimes people over engineer things um every single team member if i look over here it's because i'm actually looking at it uh, every single team member has a computer desktop background which has all of our core values in they're specific to every single team so core values are the same for everybody but all of the other things that sit on our desktop background are specific to each team so we teach each team if anyone follows me online you'll know that i'm a bit of a productivity princess and i am all about just trying to do things with um as much efficiency as possible. And so we teach all of the team, not only how to email each other and how to communicate with each other. So like, I would never expect someone to just email someone with an email subject. I wanna know, is this a quick tick, a task or a project? I wanna know if it's urgent or important and I wanna know how long it's gonna take me to do it before you then tell me the actual subject that this relates to. So nobody emails me internally without those three things before the email comes to me so that I can bulk together the quick ticks, I can prioritize what's urgent and important, and I know how long it's gonna take me and allocate that and change my diary accordingly. So we teach the team how to bulk together lots of tasks. And then we also tell them in what order should you be doing different things. So allocate time to your emails. We have a, we have a 24 hour response time to all clients on emails. Uh, clear down your emails is the first thing that you do in a day. Respond to any questions that you've got from clients. Then log into Accountancy Manager, check what tasks you've got on for the day block out your time, communicate with your team members, and then crack on. I believe that productivity is a skill that is taught and we're not taught it at school. And so we really prioritize helping people to understand what productivity looks like for them, what time of day are you productive? I am a huge morning person. I think that's sobriety, but I'm a huge morning person. And so for me, five till 8 a.m. is where I get my most high value work done. Um, I'm standing up at my desk now because it's the afternoon and my soul has left my body because I've been up since five. So just understanding and like flexible working options, how that comes into play. 
when you've got flexible working options, you can work at the time that suits you and you can work where it suits you, have a standing desk, sit down, be upside down if you're billing, I don't mind. Um, and just seeing how that works. It's just been really amazing, actually, as, as an employee who didn't have any flexibility. It's been really fantastic to see the results of, of doing it that way. Definitely. No, I love that. And I'm, and I'm completely with you on that. Um, that's, uh, that's clearly and, and I guess, you know, because our role, our role should be we are we become that coach for our team. And it's yeah. actually coaching them into being the best versions of themselves. We're not, yeah. uh, as Sam Sinek would say, we're not responsible for the work, we're responsible for the people who are responsible for the work. Yeah. And therefore, actually, take getting out of that of that field work is should be the priority so if you're if you're you know if you're still bogged down in doing tax returns and accounts you know you need to find ways of getting out of that you know recruit delegate get somebody in that can do that and so you can then you know be that be that coach be that real business owner that uh, you set out to be when you first set up your practice okay so quick fire round on the rest of them uh how many sole traders versus limited are forming the 800 clients uh we're about 50 50 at the moment about 50 yeah. Brilliant. Uh, what is the churn rate? So annual churn rate is 1.5%. 1.5%. Fantastic. How do you control mission creep? I'm not sure what he means by that. And presumably, Robert, you mean uh, scope creep potentially? Answer it like that. So All right, cool. Yeah. So I mentioned before that we have our own internal working papers. The most important part of the working papers for the person doing the field work is the planning section. So whenever we plan a job, we look at the fee, we look at the budget, we look at the scope of work. And so I can say to a junior, this job should be able to be completed within three hours or less. If you get to two and you've got a chunk left to do, I need you to put your hand up and tell me there's a problem. We need to be requoting staff doing stuff not paid for yes so also with mission creep if any like non-chargeable things come into play i've seen a huge change in the practice since we've got the consulting team so i head up the consulting team we do everything from complex tax advisory seis eis company valuations angel raises all of the fun things all the way through to like actually just business consulting and board meetings and since we've had that separate team it's been really easy for the billable fieldwork accounting year-end team to make referrals to the year-end team when they're your client and you just do everything because it's a small practice it's really easy just to be like oh, i'll just go away and do some research and give it back but actually like that's not good advisory good advisory is it being chargeable work it being protected you being insured you being able to report against it and provide advisory services and so um did you have an investor no so i guess that's the only thing we haven't said is we are completely organically scaling it's just my husband and i we are 50 50 shareholders we've never had a pound of investment and all of the scaling has been through cash flow forecasting that only an accountant could do <laughs> brilliant fantastic that's awesome stuff i'm gonna take one last question i'm gonna have to wrap it up so we'll take craig's which is the go-to productivity tools and email management tools oh Yes, Craig, my favorite question. Yes, I actually, um, I, I call my inbox management system the productivity method. So I actually have long and short form content on YouTube, Instagram and TikTok, where I explain exactly how I manage my inbox and productivity skills every single day. Uh, would love to see you over there. But yeah, in essence, I call it the productivity method because it is bulking similar familiar tasks using email categories together and then time blocking into your diary to just yeah, just bulk tasks where, you know, you have to be logged into things at the same time to be able to onboard a client, do all of your onboarding at the same time. But yeah, I call it the productivity now. Yeah, absolutely. No, 
I'd agree with that one as well. Time blocking is the most efficient way to operate. If it's not in the calendar, it doesn't get done. So yeah. now this has been absolutely awesome. If you've been watching live, you have, I'm sure you will agree that you have had a treat. If you're watching this on replay, then feel free to add a comment with a question and uh, tag either myself or Rachel in if you would like a question. And hopefully if we see it, we will answer. But otherwise, I'd like to extend a huge thank you to you, Rachel, for coming on today and sharing it with us at your journey, being very open with your answers to the questions and being a real inspiration for practice owners out there as to what is possible. So hats off to you, many, many congratulations. It's been awesome to see your journey unfold and that you've still got so many years ahead of you. So I can't wait to see what the future brings. And no doubt, I'm gonna have you again on sometime soon to hear the next chapter of your story. So once again, a big thank you to you, Rachel. Big thank you to you for listening and uh, you'll be able to catch up on this in the podcast. But otherwise, I wish you all a great rest of the day. Take care. Uh, bye for now. Amazing. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you want to spend more time together, get access to me personally for your questions, access to resources and training that will help you to shortcut your progress together with being part of an incredible community of accountants all helping each other, then come and join the pack, the Profitable Accountants Community. There's a hundred plus accountants that I mentor and they help each other to get results faster than trying to do it alone. Go to reshood.com forward slash mentoring to learn more or message me directly on LinkedIn. Take care.